The Bible says that's what faith is all about. Faith is about believing what has not yet transpired yet. Hoping is trusting God for a future that you haven't seen yet. But because you know who God is, and you know how God works, you can say, I can have hope in this. See, but for a world that doesn't believe in God, it's very easy for them to scoff and make fun that Jesus hasn't returned yet. There are a lot of people out there who don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And they definitely don't think that he's going to come back. This happened in Peter's time, just as it's happening today. Well, in this message, Pastor Daniel shares that this is where faith comes in. Faith is believing in something you haven't yet seen. And it goes hand in hand with hope, looking forward to seeing what God will do because you know and trust him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Peter chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Truth About Salvation. are constantly filling up our hearts and minds with things every single day. You realize that for each day has 1,440 minutes in it. Now, if you start subtracting out time for sleeping and these things, everything else all day long, you are filling your heart and mind with stuff. And there's an old saying, garbage in, garbage out. The idea is that if whatever you put into you influences and conforms and shapes you, and whatever you put in, you are going to get out. Like, let me give you an example. Many of us understand what it's like to have anger issues, right? Anger. And it's always so funny when someone says, I'm not bad at you when they're yelling at you. You know what I mean? You ever meet those type of people? I'm really not bad at you. And you're like, well, great. I'd hate to see if you were. But listen, I guarantee you, someone who's angry, they're also consuming lots of angry material. Like, you can always tell when someone's watching political talk shows in the 21st century. You can tell within two seconds. Do you know why? Because we all can agree that politics in the 21st century is like a real classy endeavor at this point, right? It's like it's so holy and kind-hearted. No, it's, it's like a steel cage wrestling match with props at this point, right? You can always tell when someone's watching it. Why? Because if somebody disagrees with them, they fly off the handle at them, start yelling at them, calling them an idiot and all this stuff. Why? Because that's what they're learning watching these shows. If you put your kids in front of all this violence, it's not going to be shocking when someone takes their twin, they knock them in the head. I'm not saying they should do it. It's like, but that's what happens. Because whatever you put in, you get out. And what it is, is you and I are bombarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week by the way that the world works. The values of this world. The dog-eat-dog, attack-style, can't-have-a-conversation-with-someone-you-disagree-with. We're being bombarded by this every day. And it's not just on political talk shows. It's on every single television show. And it's on your internet. And it's on your mobile phone. And it's getting pumped for you young people into your Snapchat and into your Facebook because there's a little thing on the side which is telling you this is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to value. But what Peter's saying is you need to fill your mind with what is true. Because the thing is, is so much of this is just noise. 
It's one person's view of the world that they want you to adopt. And they have vehicles, whether it be radio or television or your smartphone or the internet, and they can give you their worldview. And if they give it to you long enough and loud enough, you will adopt it whether you think about it or not. But Peter's saying, I wrote this letter because I want to remind you what the truth is. And my friends, this is a big concern for me as a pastor. Because you might say, well, Fusco, give me a break. I am here at church right now. Like I'm hearing the word. I'm here to tell you that a 40-minute sermon, no matter how inspired by the Spirit, how deeply biblical it is, no matter how well it is delivered, cannot counteract seven other days full of another way of thinking. It's a limitation to what I can do. You say, well, I go to Wednesday night too. Oh, I watch your two-minute message. What can two minutes do in the midst of 1,440 minutes in a day? So you see there's a dilemma that goes on for the people of God because you are being inundated every single day. You're filling your mind and your heart with all this stuff. And I'm not saying we should get rid of technology and we should go back to dial-up. I'm not advocating that at all. That would be horrible. I grew up in that generation. Remember when you go on and you hear that little sound? Take 97 minutes, you go to open a web cage, it takes eight minutes. Some of you are like, that's still my life. Well, get a new computer. Anyway, you know. But it's like, I remember those days. I'm not saying we should go back. I'm not saying that it was better back then. But what I am saying is that if you're not filling up your mind with truth, then you're filling up your mind with lies. You're either getting good stuff in, you're going to get good stuff out, or you're getting garbage in, and you're going to get garbage out. So like, let me give you an example. If all you do is listen to music, and I love music, when there's a lot of expletives in it, you shouldn't be shocked when you start thinking in expletives and using them. doesn't make a difference. Because that's what you're hearing, and that becomes normalized. If you are inundated every single day, it's like we're seeing the research now with children and violent video games. Because if your child is being socialized, killing other people, then if they do that long enough, then kids going in and killing people doesn't seem so horrific, even though I'm not trying to justify violence in this generation. I'm saying, but everyone's seeing the correlation between the two. And for children who maybe have mental health issues and leanings, all of a sudden these lines get blurred and they don't see that there's a moral problem with it because they've grown up watching this their whole life. So what I am saying is that you and I, we need to fill up our minds with truth, which is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. This is who God is and how God sees the world. And it's not enough to hear a sermon on a Sunday and you come to the midweek and you listen to Fusco's two-minute messages as much as I'm happy that you do that. You need to read the word of God every single day. You need to handle it every single day. I remember sitting in church, just like many of you are doing right now, and I heard a pastor, he said, you need to memorize scripture. And I thought to myself, yeah. So I started to memorize scripture. Because when you memorize God's word, when you go to do something stupid, a verse pops up. Like, because I don't know about you guys, but I got a PhD in doing stupid stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so stuff goes on and I need to be reminded. Like, let me give you an example. The Bible says that our words should be edifying, that we should build one another up. Now, how many of you received communication from somebody that didn't quite feel really upbuilding. Anybody? Yeah. Like all of us, you know? So, but so what happens when I go to say something that is not building up, I hear things like, let all things be done for edification. That's a Bible verse. And all of a sudden I'm like, I better not say that. Now, I'm not saying I always get that right. 
but at least I know where the lines are. But you know what the problem is? Because some of us don't know the Bible and we don't have these verses, you can say whatever you want. You just tear someone down. Or in the church, of course, we've mastered the art of the backhanded compliment. Where they're really just cutting you down, but they're trying to make it sound really holy. I'm a pastor. I get a lot of those. Where they're like, you know, Pastor Daniel, we know, but, 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 and I'm like, oh, here we go. The we know is like a compliment, but it's really just a setup for the, you know? But when you know the word, the word can check you on those things. Remember I talked about using expletives. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. So because I know that verse from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, when I go to use colorful language, I have to catch myself and say, oh, hold on. Because I grew up around Jesus's name as a filler word. That was my family I grew up in. You know, and he's like, you could say something, but if you said it with an expletive, now you really meant it. You know what I mean? And so I grew up in that. And I'm like, but I don't want to speak that way because I want blessings to come out of my mouth, not curses. I want beautiful things to come out and not corrupt things. But I'm here to tell you, we live in a world that doesn't care about the difference. But Jesus does. So are you filling up your mind with truth? Now, I know what you're saying. I don't like to read. Well, get the thing on MP3 and they read it to you. I don't do MP3s. Well, get it on CDs, cassette tapes, or 8-track. It don't matter. Just get the stuff in you. Get God's word in you because the truth changes you. This reminds me of Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Beautiful verse, isn't it? Now, the word meditation in the Bible is different from the way meditation is used today. If you think about meditation, you think of someone sitting all like a pretzel, trying not to think, focus on your breath, right? In Hebrew, the word meditation leads to chew on something to get all the nourishment out of it. So anyway, the thing is that we want to be people who chew on the word of God, keep gnawing on it, gnawing on it, to get all the nurture out of it. See, because we all need reminders, don't we? Because I know what happens for some Christians, like, well, I studied that book, but God's word is alive. It has new things to teach you each turn. I've taught many of these books many times because I'm teaching to you all. And I'm learning new things every time. Like, wow, I never saw that before. Wow, and certain things apply to my heart differently than they did before because we're all in process and God's word is alive and it interacts with each one of us right where we are. And listen, we all know that we need reminders. If you don't believe me, just ask your wives. For the husbands, you know that you would forget the milk if she didn't tell you 97 times, right? Because you don't want to say yes because you know we'd forget, right? <laughs> I love my wife. She's so patient and kind. I'll go somewhere. She's like, don't forget the ketchup. Don't forget the ketchup. I'm like, oh, I won't forget the ketchup, you know? And then I get to the store. You know what the first thing I forget is? The ketchup. It's unbelievable to me. So she texts me now. I know you have the ketchup. I'm like, oh, you're so godly, you know? <laughs> and sure enough, like, I get the text. I'm like, oh, I forgot the ketchup. Darn <laughs> And I go over to the thing and like, and like, I think I'm stealing the ketchup because I'm like all like, like trying to be all sly. Like she's watching, like dropping it in the back of the cart. But we all need these reminders. And I know that you know, deep down, you need your heart filled with truth, don't you? And your head filled with truth. Because if not, you're just filling yourself with garbage. It might be entertaining garbage, but it's not, it has no true eternal value. 
Let's fill up our minds with truth. Now, from there, Peter is constantly navigating the truth and the lies of his culture and the things that were going on in the church, and we have it here. Look what it says in verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, of which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Now, what's fascinating is I think one of the things, you want the truth about the gospel and the truth about salvation, and I think something that we all struggle with is that you and I need to expect doubters. We need to expect doubters because you know what happens for many people. You put your faith and trust in Jesus and then all of a sudden people start coming at you that they don't agree with you and they don't believe it and they have these arguments and they're very passionate about those arguments. And for a lot of people, our faith gets shipwrecked because we do not expect doubters, but we should. I remember before I got married, one of the great pieces of marital advice I got, right before we got married, someone said to me, Daniel, expectations ruin relationships. And I remember being like, Never heard that before. But I started to think about it because what happens is, is that when you have an expectation, if this is what I expect to get out of this situation, but the problem with your expectations is, is nobody knows that you have them. So all of a sudden, somebody is not living up to your expectations and then you're getting frustrated with them and they're letting you down, but they don't even know that they're being graded on that. And so the idea that expectations ruin relationships, the key to expectations is you share them with one. This is what my hopes and dreams are. This is what I want it to look like so that this person isn't trying to get an A, but they don't know what's on the test. How many of you know what I'm talking about right now? Everyone's like, yeah, you know? So expectations ruin relationships. In the same way, if you don't expect to have opposition to your faith, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you go out into the real world, and all of a sudden your friends who are supposed to be your friends are like, I don't really like the Christian version of you. Then you start saying, well, I don't know if I like the Christian version of me either. Right? But you should expect opposition. You should expect doubt. Because in Peter's day, that was going on. He's saying, look, knowing this, that scoffers in the, will come in the last days walking not in the spirit, but in their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, what's amazing is the apostle Paul said almost the exact same thing. First Timothy chapter four, verses one to three. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See, what he's saying is that the Spirit tells Paul, and now the Spirit inspires Peter, says, look, in the last days, scoffers are going to come. People are going to cast doubt on Jesus. And in Peter's day, much like today, what's one of the reasons that people scoff? Because Jesus hasn't returned yet. You guys ever meet somebody who says, I can't believe you're a Christian. You guys believe Jesus is coming back. He's been gone for 2,000 years. How's he going to come back? Anybody ever hear that argument before? Or maybe the more popularized bumper sticker version, Jesus is coming back, look busy. 
It's making fun of this reality that Jesus is coming back. Now, here's the thing. Since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, we're in the last days. That's what the Bible teaches. From the day Jesus ascended into heaven, 50 days after he was resurrected from the dead, that began the last days. And Jesus hasn't returned yet. But what goes on is that because Jesus hasn't returned yet, it's really hard to believe in things you haven't seen yet. But you and I know that the Bible says that's what faith is all about. Faith is about believing what has not yet transpired yet. Hoping is trusting God for a future that you haven't seen yet. But because you know who God is and you know how God works, you can say, I can have hope in this. See, but for a world that doesn't believe in God, it's very easy for them to scoff and make fun that Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so that was going on back in Peter's day. Not 2,000 years after it happened, but maybe some 40 or 50 years after all this stuff happened. Where's his return? And what Peter does is he goes back to creation. Remember I told you that creation, fall, redemption, restoration. He goes back to creation and he reminds them that in their questioning of their doubts about the Lord and their doubts about what he's done, he says, look, for these, verse five, for this they willingly forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So he goes back to the creation account and he reminds him that creation was made by God's word and water. Kind of crazy, right? But if you read Genesis chapter one, what you learn is God spoke everything into existence. On the first day of creation, we learn that God created the light. On the second day, God created the firmament, which separated the upper waters from the lower waters. That's the second day of creation. And then on the third day of creation, the waters collected together into oceans and land mass, right? But what he's getting at here is he's saying, look, the word of God was created by God's word and water, but then God also judged the world by water, referring to the flood, right? So what God used for creation, God also used in that case for judgment. Now, you might be saying, well, God used water, I mean, isn't that, who really believes that? You do, because how many of you guys know that your body is made up of a lot of water? You guys know that. Who knows what percentage of your body is made up by water? I got every number between about 70% and 95%, which is a good reminder that 98.4% of statistics are made up on the spot. (laughs) Just like that one. But we all know a large percentage, some 70, 80, maybe almost 90% of your bodies is made up of water. Even you talk to the new agers, they say one of the great life forces is water. So the idea is that God created the world with his word and he used water, but then he used it to judge. And then he says, which I think is very fascinating because then he moves from creation, he moves all the way to restoration in verse seven. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So now what we learn is that in creation, God's word and water were involved, and then God's word sustains creation, and that at the restoration, fire is going to be used. That God's final restorative judgment is going to involve fire. Now, what's really fascinating is if you read the book of Genesis at the flood, God created the rainbow, saying, I'm never going to destroy the world by water again. So the fact that it's going to be by fire, this gives us a very interesting piece of information about the restoration. But Peter says all, he's confronting the doubts of his day using reasoned arguments, which I think is really important. 
We do a lot of that here where I'm talking about, hey, you can explain it this way and this way. I'm trying to help you reason through these things because I understand the day and age we live in because I live in this day and age too. I talk to all sorts of people about Jesus and I learn all sorts of things about how people view these things and why they look at them this way. And I say, how can we understand what these things mean and how do we explain them in a way that people can understand? But Peter does that because there's something even more important that I think is very important for us to be able to end on here. Look at what it says in verse eight. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. My friends, you want the truth about salvation? God wants everyone. That's God's desire. God's desire is for everyone to come to know him. So on the question of where's the return of the Lord, Peter gives two answers. First, he gives the answer that God's perspective and God's timing is different from ours. And he quotes Psalm 90, verse 4. First, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. In Psalm 90, verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past. What that means is that from God's vantage point, Time exists differently. Now, a thousand years sounds like a long time for some of us, right? I mean, even the oldest person in the room today, maybe in their 90s, in God's economy, that's not even breakfast time yet, you know? So it seems like a long time, but for God, time is different. But then also, the other reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet is verse 9. Look what it says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. See, the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because God is patient with us because he knows that if he would have come back 20 years ago, I would have been lost. And he knows that if he would have come back two years ago, a bunch of you would have been lost. And he knows that if he comes back today, there's all sorts of people who are going to have an opportunity to receive Christ. And this reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Do you see that? See, this is important because God's heart is not in the destruction of the wicked, but God wants the wicked to turn, to repent from the way that they act and live. See, now my friends, this is so important because this verse drives who we are at Crossroads. Jesus is real. Do you want to know what God thinks about? What he cares about? It's you. And it's me. It's everyone on this planet. He loves us. And that's why he's waiting to come back. He wants everyone to have the chance to turn to him and be rescued. Today, Pastor Daniel explained that God doesn't take pleasure in watching people die without knowing him. It breaks his heart. Instead, he longs for you to turn from following your own way so that you can truly live. 
everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel talks about how keeping the end in mind impacts what you do in the present. Knowing where you want to go will help you determine which paths to take. Pastor Daniel will explain that no one knows when the end will come, so you need to be ready. Living in light of this reality will help you move through your days with purpose and direction. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Truth About Lies. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.